0: Welcome to The Synopsis. I'm your host, Jason, with Diddy Zillian Mind. Tonight, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start my uh, new series, uh, just kind of uh, summarizing the TV show Fringe. Uh, originally, I was going to have The Synopsis be uh, more of a book summary, book review, book critique type of a, a thing, but uh, I figured I would toss in TV shows and movies into the uh, the series as well uh, and as I mentioned in other episodes and podcasts uh, I did want to have some of my book reviews be uh, be themed based around uh, certain holidays or seasons or what have you that we experience here in the United States um, however, I quickly found that uh, I got distracted by this TV series. And uh, I'm now fully complete with uh, Seasons 1, 2, and 3 as of this recording. And I'm probably about 4 or 5 episodes into Season 4. Um, originally, I would planned for it to be uh, one episode one podcast here per season, um, but who knows, maybe after recording this uh, um, podcast here, I d- discovered that I can fit all five seasons into one big um, uh, episode, then I might just do that, so I guess we'll just kind of play it by year and see how I do, if I need more episodes, to cover uh, more content, then I'll do season by season, episode by episode, um, to make sure that I cover it all. Um, so, a little bit about the show. It's kind of it's kind of the like the next generation, if you will, for uh, X Files, splashed with a little bit of uh, um, sci-fi stuff like uh, Sliders. So, that's kind of how I see it as the next generation of, sci- of X-Files and Sliders. was um, introduced to me by my wife, and it's... I, I really, uh, really like the show so far. It's, it's really good. So, I do recommend that people watch it. Um, the nice thing is, from my perspective anyway, is that uh, each season that I've watched so far has between 20 and 23 episodes. Uh, none of this six or eight episodes stuff like you see with game of thrones or anything like that as good as those tv series are i do appreciate that they have 20 plus episodes per season uh and these are like the the 45 minute ones you know so i that's what i like it's kind of kind of reminds me of the flash uh, that tv show as well i mean they have about 20 episodes Per season in, in their uh, series as well and i really like that i, I like that you can really get in and, and, and dive into the characters have a quite a bit of different experiences you know when it comes to side plots the main plot or just kind of doing the generic uh you know filler episodes here and there you know it kind of reminds me of uh watching uh star trek the next generation or any of the star trek uh series, or even stuff like Supernatural, where they have those, like I said, those main storylines, they have those side plots, but they also have just the filler episodes where they go back to doing the, you know, the quote-unquote basic that uh, they got the the whole show started on. And so that's kind of what this show is about, is you have this group of uh, um, scientists and agents, FBI agents, who come together and form what they call the Fringe Division, And they basically just uh, investigate, understand, and fight all these different uh, weird or strange phenomenon. You know, and this, like I said, stuff that kind of goes back to whole X-Files, sliders, supernatural type thing, you know, they have, you know, uh, um, how can somebody be invisible? How can uh, somebody have these superpowers? How can this... How did this uh, like one episode the the cold virus was mutated so it would grow exponentially larger to where it was the size of like a football ended up being a, a lethal uh, virus because you know if, if the the cold virus got to be the point where it was like the size of a football it would kill you you know and just the way that it looks when it's super grown like that you know it it kind of puts a different twist on it you know and so what they do is they have all these different weird phenomenon that are happening and this special subgroup of the FBI fringe division goes around and studies them and comes up with scientific explanations as well as scientific conclusions to stop these other things from happening so that's kind of the the, the overall basics of the show and so obviously you get introduced to some of the characters uh, the first one is Walter who's a an eccentric scientist and... He is battling memory loss... And insanity... Um... And you soon find out that he's... He, he was in insane asylum... He was... Uh... Released on behalf of his son... And then FBI agents... To help them with... These phenomenon... As I said, he's very eccentric... He, he's seen as kind of being crazy... Or the kook... You know, of the group... Uh... He'll rattle off a bunch of random, sometimes inappropriate joke jokes, but they're also really funny too. So you can you can kind of tell there's a little bit of a disconnect there with him. Um, but uh, I think it's pretty funny to be honest uh, in terms of the uh, the humor that's used throughout the first three seasons and even into the fourth season, and it's generally uh, kind of directed from Walter making just really weird comments at really weird times but doing so for comedic relief and it's done really well um so he's kind of one of the main characters you know and you'll kind of see throughout the seasons how his character developed and the backstory behind him is also fleshed out as well uh as i mentioned you got uh his son peter um and he and and peter like i said is walter's a he doesn't really have a very good working relationship with his father. Um, and he's kind of developed into the person that is kind of the, uh, the jack-of-all-trades, kind of the, the shady business dealer, you know, where um, how he makes his money and what he does for a living is kind of questionable. Um, you know, they, they've shown him uh, in many times where he's acted almost like some sort of a, a weapons uh, dealer. Over in uh, hotbed areas like in the Middle East, selling them weapons kind of under the the table type of thing you know and working those kind of uh, black market uh, connects, if you will. Uh, so that, that's kind of Peter uh, Walter's son. The next one is Olivia and she's an FBI agent. Um, and you kind of get a quick understanding of her in terms of she's very she's overly emotional. Um, insecure, has like a whiny attitude, and it kind of makes you wonder, how is she an FBI agent, you know? Um, and so, you kind of get, for me anyway, I was kind of off-put by her, you know, just from the get-go. Uh, now she ends up having... A relationship with another FBI agent who is known as John Scott. Uh, once I get into the uh, plot a little bit more, you'll kind of see how he plays in. But uh, that's kind of who Olivia is FBI agent, uh, overly emotional, whiny, insecure, and just a really kind of the, the whiny bitch attitude, if you will. Um, the next one is uh, Astrid. And she is a junior FBI agent and basically becomes the assistant to, uh, Walter, but also to Olivia, just to kind of watch what Walter does in the laboratory on behalf of the FBI and Olivia. Um, so she kind of gets placed into that assistant category right off the bat. Um, and without, uh, hinting too much about later content. She kind of stays in that whole role throughout the first three seasons. Um, and there is a running joke between regarding Astrid and Walter uh, throughout the first season as well as the second and third season. The running joke is that Walter just can't remember her name. And he always gets close. He'll call her Astro or uh, Alice or, or whatever. But she, but he'll always get her name wrong, and she'll always be like, "It's Astrid." And uh, so it's kind of like an, I guess it's kind of an inside joke where you have to watch it to understand. But uh, uh, I thought that was kind of funny how they made Walter's eccentric behavior so, you know, so rudimentary that he just can't even remember her name after weeks and weeks and months of in-show content, you know, under, under wraps, He just can't remember her name, and he always gets really close. Kind of reminds me of the Dumb and Dumber uh, scene, where he's trying to remember uh, Mary's last name. He's like, Slippy, Sloppy, Swappy, Samson, Swanson. And then he looks on the briefcase and is like, oh, Samsonite, you know, so... He's getting close all the time, but he can never really remember her name, Astrid, and you know, always come up with like Astro or Alice or Alicia or something. A couple of times he gets it totally out of the ballpark wrong, you know, not even begin with an A. Um, so that's always kind of funny to, to to listen to and see how many times he he misspeaks when calling her name, thinking that he's got her name correct. So um, that's kind of some of the comedic. Uh, uh, play that they use in the series to kind of help go along with a lot of the seriousness that's going on as well. Um, beyond that, there's uh, Philip Broyles. He's the head of the Fringe Division, so he's Olivia's boss, and you kind of get the uh, the idea that he's you know play I'm um, played by the books type of agent. You know, really, uh, you know, kind of off the block type of thing. You know, doesn't really try to. Um, jump too far out of the uh, the uh, command structure, if you will. Um, but you kind of see eventually, you know, how his character develops into the story. Uh, there's also Nina Sharp, who is the COO of a comp- corporation called Massive Dynamic. Um, there's charlie francis who's a co-worker and friend of olivia as i mentioned there's also uh john scott who is also a fbi agent and is also olivia's partner or lover um there's david jones which you will find out is the le- the leader of the zft cult um, i'm not even gonna try to pronounce zft that's just a shorthand version of it it's It's German for like a paragraph length worth of of letters smashed together into a sound. Um, But that's who uh, David Jones is. He's the leader of the ZFT cult. Um, You see, I think it's like a senator or a representative, but it's Sanford Harris. He's uh, kind of an an FBI oversight kind of a dude. Um, For those of you who've watched uh, the Stargate TV series, he's kind of like the, the Senator Kinsey. He's he's that bureaucrat that everybody loves to hate. Where he comes in, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to shut this place down for uh, wasting the taxpayer dollar and all this other stuff." You know, just being really pompous and and air being blown up his ass because he thinks he's that important. Um, but uh, that's kind of what you're looking at for uh, Sanford Harris as a character. And then the last one is uh, William Bell. He's the uh, um, the founder and former colleague of Walter's. And as you will see when it comes to the, uh, uh, the story plot of season one, that's kind of who people are trying to get in contact with, to have some sort of meeting with them to figure out what the hell's going on. Why are all these phenomenons happening that you know, take some really wild uh, scientific uh, understanding to describe. Uh, So that's kind of the list of characters that we have so far for uh, intro into Season 1. When it comes to the plot of Season 1, you know, the main plot right now is, as I mentioned, it's the Fringe Division trying to investigate all these strange phenomena that are happening as a result of uh, advanced technology. Now... Some of these characters that I mentioned, they seem kind of kind of minor in terms of their role. For example, John Scott, uh, he's there, and he is actually the connect between how the show gets started, all the characters get introduced, being Olivia's partner and lover, and the ZFT cult. Because you start to find out that he's got connections, and he's either working with them, or he's, you know involved in some manner with the ZFT cult and that's kind of how that whole cult gets on the radar of the French division is through this connection um you find out that uh um John Scott gets killed and one of the strange scientific phenomenon that they decide to chase after is the uh the age-old theory from decades and centuries ago that the last Thing that the person sees is kind of etched or burned into their retinas. And so if you can only turn a person's uh, optic nerve and eyeball into a uh, projector, you can see the last moments of their life and who killed them and all that stuff. And so, of course, there's a, an episode or, or, or a dozen, if you will, um, that kind of describes you know the process of how this could be a thing. And so that's kind of how. John Scott and the ZFT cult kind of get introduced into the whole story plot. So it goes, so the main story plot goes from just um, going after these phenomenon, trying to stop them or mitigate them and then solve them to there's some sort of a, a cult called the ZFT cult and their, their goal is that they want the destruction of the world at the hands of advanced human-made technology. So they're kind of a doomsday or apocalyptic type cult that wants to bring about the end of the world on behalf of human technology and its, I don't know, arrogance or ignorance that it could, it could uh, um, control such advanced technology, blah, blah, blah. You get the story. Uh, so that's kind of, the, that's the, the main story plot that you see unfold in season one. Now, obviously, there's going to be some, uh, side, uh, plots that develop. One of them is interpersonal, uh, plots and conflicts. Um, and so what you see is, you see that, uh, Struggle between Walter and his son because they're both estranged from each other. Um, and so you start to see the two being forced to work together, you know, for the common good that is trying to figure out these phenomena, trying to deal with each other uh, without going crazy and putting Walter back into the psych ward. Um, you see uh, the interagency uh, conflicts primarily with, uh, the bureaucrat, uh, Sanford, uh, Harris, and his role in trying to rein in the fringe division and make them obsolete and basically dissolve the program, so you have that kind of interagency, uh, uh, antagonism there, and you come to find out that, uh, um, previous to the show, Olivia, uh, basically put a, ruined his career because she, uh, uh, outed him for sexual assault of a a handful of women. Um, while he was either in Congress or as an FBI agent or some sort of official role that he had, he was sexually harassing women in the workplace and she kind of blew the lid on him and got him in trouble and Nearly uh, ruined his career, so, that, so that's so she so he's kind of coming back and trying to seek revenge on her now. So they, you kind of see this kind of uh, interagency uh, conflict or erupt based off of these two persons kind of bringing whatever power they have within the system up against each other. Um, you see uh, interpersonal uh, conflicts as well, um, and that's kind of mainly focused on Olivia. A good chunk of the first season is centered around Olivia trying to come to terms with uh, losing her, her boyfriend, finding out that he was going to propose to her, and uh, at first thinking that he was a traitor to her and her country and the FBI, but then realizing that uh, um, he actually did care for her and that uh, he wanted to get married to her and try to figure out a way for them to be together, blah, 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 blah. And so a lot of it was her just being whiny, complaining about it, and uh, not enjoying, if you will, having all this brought to to light, you know, and woe is me type of an attitude. So um, I think that was kind of the, the biggest uh, interpersonal Uh, Conflict that uh, was going on in season one was just Olivia trying to come to terms and kind of quote-unquote get over uh, John being dead. And not only that, but the fact that he was kind of a double agent, you know, working for, uh, or at least with really close ties to this cult, as well as uh, possibly betraying uh, the FBI and her and then finding out that he really did love her. You know, that type of thing. So, um, as you can see, there's a lot of, you know, interweaving stories that are kind of being developed here as the whole thing goes on, goes on. And you can see how her close friend and, and uh, co-worker Charlie's trying to, you know, help her out and make her feel comfortable and kind of get her through this whole thing. You know, you got Peter and his dad. Um, you've got uh, Agent Broyles trying to hold a tight ship and try to keep everything uh, nice and tidy while you got that Sanford guy kind of bearing down from the outside but trying to beat in all the while you've got some crazy cult trying to end the world using advanced human technology at their fingertips or acquiring it so that they can uh, um, bring about the end of the world and uh, achieve their apocalyptic endeavors (laughs) And so how the whole season ends, and this does include spoilers, so if you uh, don't want to know the uh, the season finale, uh, how, how the season ends, then don't listen to this part. Fast forward a few seconds or a minute or something so you don't hear the spoiler. But here's a spoiler, is after all these different natu- natural phenomenon happening and you see everything from like this amber like goo that goes from a, a, a gas form into like a solid casing like amber casing you know to um bacteria that becomes the size of a football or you know all these other strange events um you see Olivia flashing into what looks like a dream state where everything's the same but different. And she can't quite understand why. Um, The two big events that happen is... uh, You you see that Olivia finally gets that uh, interview with William Bell. Now, the kicker is, is she feels like she is, you know like in a dream state, or that she's kind of taken to some, somewhere else. And the big, uh, the first big spoiler for that is that she is meeting in, with William Bell in one of the floors of the World Trade Center building. And as it zooms out, you see that the, the World Trade Center buildings are still erect and in place in New York City. And so now you see, and then I think you also see that the, the Statue of Liberty is bronze rather than its greenish color right now, greenish color. So um, you definitely realize that something's going on, that, they're, they're, that, that this William Bell guy, the, this former coworker of, and, and colleague of uh, Walters and the, uh, the founder of uh, Massive Dynamic, he is not in the world. He is in another world and Olivia just got scooted away to go and talk with him in this other world where the, tra- where the World Trade Centers are still standing. And the other spoiler that you see is um, Walter goes back to the family's home. And you find out that all of the hints throughout the first season that Walter has been dropping about how, you know, oh, you know, Peter doesn't remem- remember much about when he was sick because when he was sick, six years old, he was deathly sick and uh, it caused a lot of trauma and so there's not much uh, remembrance on Peter's part and to Peter's credit, he, he can't remember it either. You know, there's a lot of trauma going on at that time in his life. He was deathly sick and he just kind of blocked that from his memory. Um, and so throughout the whole first season, you, you hear about how, you know, that was kind of the, the first, the, the beginnings of, uh, of uh, the, the estrangement between Walter and Peter, and from there, what happens is, is all of those uh, are basically foreshadowing to the season finale, where you see Walter going back to where the family used to live way back in the day. And he goes to a uh, cemetery to see his wife, where she's buried. And I believe it's uh, revealed in, in, that, in season one that she had committed suicide while uh, Walter was in a psych ward for about 12 or 17 years or something like that. Um, but you also see him standing there crying over another tombstone. And on the tombstone it says his son's name, Peter Bishop and dying when he was six years old. And so that's kind of how the whole um, season ends, is you find out that some of the things that Walter is starting to remember, or he's just hiding and buried deep inside of his consciousness, is that the Peter that he's talking to, his son... Well, he is now standing before his son's gravestone where it says he died at the age of six from his birth date to his death date. And then you see Olivia being whisked away to another world where she meet where she meets uh, the William Bell, who is played by uh, Leonard Nimoy. And you see the World Trade Center is still standing. You see the uh, Statue of Liberty in bronze rather than green. And so it kind of leaves kind of a cliffhanger as, Huh. Uh, how they can explain this one away, so, you know, uh, that's kind of the, the, the season one plot to it, and, uh, I thought overall was a really good, really good way to kind of introduce the whole series, you know, that's gonna be about as much as you can handle for the first season, because the first season is supposed to be an intro season anyway, as I mentioned before, it was basic and to the point, it's Hey, we're a, a division in the FBI that's investigating weird and strange phenomenon. And that's what the season was. It's finding all these weird and strange phenomenons. And of course, whenever these kind of weird and strange phenomenons happen, you're going to find some sort of apocalyptic cult right behind them. Sure enough, there it was. Um, and uh, one thing I did forget about the uh, season finale was... The occult leader, um, David Jones, you see him working on teleportation. So you see him actually teleport himself out out of a jail in Germany and then make his way to the United States. Um, And apparently all the radiation that happened because of the, uh, the teleportation is causing basically his skin to melt and ooze and pus and all that other nasty stuff. To where he's got to wrap himself up in bandages because he's, uh, you know, basically experienced radiation poisoning. Um, and so you see him trying to create doorways, you know, in, in the final uh, few episodes where he's in it, you see him trying to create a doorway uh, to help usher in the apocalypse, if you will, at the hands of advanced technology that humans are trying to build. And, of course, he's stopped and killed. Um, Basically, the uh, um, portal closes and he's halfway through it and chops him in half. He's dead. And there you go. So um, that was kind of a little tidbit of the spoilers for the season finale where the cult leader dies because he's trying to use some advanced human technology to uh, destroy the world. And then the other two revelations regarding Olivia and regarding Peter. Um, but yeah, that is basically all you can do when it comes to a season one uh, for the show is a very basic uh, main story plot that just to, to introduce the characters, get you to know them, throw in some twists here and there, and then have a relatively. Uh, basic start for what would become the main story plot for seasons to come, and that's what they did, it was done really well, the, uh, I thought the graphics, the, the stories were really interesting, um, so, when it comes to the pros, like I said, it was a really unique way to, uh, introduce the advanced technology, you know, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, hey, he, uh, built a, uh, a hybrid uh, uh, flu virus that kills people. It's like, no, they made it big so that basically it kills the shit out of you, you know, and there's a size of a football and it explodes out of your body, you know. Okay, that's that's pretty unique, you know. So, or like, like I mentioned too, another episode where they had uh, the uh, the amber casing, you know, like when you see something fossilized in amber, same thing, you know, it started as an aerosol can that the guy left on a bus. And the air, the, the gas form eventually turned into like a liquid and then into a solid encasing everybody in that amber, uh, tomb basically. And, uh, I mean, that was kind of unique, you know, it, having to go from aerosol to a liquid jelly type stuff as it expanded and solidifying and hardening into that amber, uh, casing. That's, that's a pretty unique way to, uh, to show it, you know, and, uh, I think it's overall is it well written you know I, I didn't notice very many plot holes you know they, they kept it pretty uh, pretty consistent from from episode one all the way to, episode, to the last episode in terms of telling the story making sure they cleaned up any uh, plot holes that existed making sure they didn't uh, you know make it anything sound too outlandish you know they did a really good job of making it sound very plausible that, that this is something that could happen um the couple of the cons that I had is, um, I think, mainly surrounding Olivia's character. You know, the whole uh, emotional baggage, uh, head case, if you will. You know, that, I'm sorry, but uh, when, when you get into the FBI as an agent like that, you really, I really don't see that kind of behavior coming from agents. You know, and she just seemed like the kind that would just be very short and let her emotions just rule the day on with her. And I just think that was, you know, really a poor way to describe or to introduce the character to the audience. You know, it, it's kind of a... And it, it, it's kind of the stereotypical play, too. You know, it's like they're trying to stereotype her in, into what is to be expected. Overly emotional, overly needy, overly whiny, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's better ways to do that. The other con that I have is they don't really focus that much on Astrid's character. As I mentioned before, she is kind of hired on as a junior FBI agent and she's really just the assistant for Walter. And so, you know, it's... I really wish they would have had a little bit more backstory into her. The only thing that they really did with Astrid was, besides the comic relief, she is kind of like a, you know, some sort of like a a lost love type of thing when it came to... or a lost cause type of thing when it came to uh, a love interest for Peter. You could tell the way that she talked to him and and she looked at him that she was interested in Peter. But Peter just wasn't really having it. You know, he, he did not really... Um, acknowledge that Astrid was kind of giving him the eyes, showing that she was interested in him... And if I recall correctly uh I think in season 1 is where uh Peter is introduced to Olivia's sister. And so there 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 there's like this four-way kind of love triangle or, or square I should say between the four. You can tell there's a little bit of romantic tension between Peter and Olivia, and then when Peter meets Olivia's sister, there's a lot more romantic interest between those two. They really hit it off, which makes Olivia uncomfortable, because there's also that romantic interest that's starting to build there, and then you've got Astrid on the side, who's kind of showing some interest in, in Peter as well, and... It just really made for a really weird, you know, romantic, you know, I guess rectangle. You know, it it just seemed really off for the show. Like they didn't they didn't really know where they were trying to go with that. You know, they didn't know if, if they should have Peter chase after Olivia or chase after Olivia's sister or chase after or or. or Actually, acknowledge that Astrid is kind of giving him the eye because she might be interested in him. You know, they—I they, think that was kind of one of the aspects that they should have, could have just left out of the, the first season is the, the whole, you know, romantic interest that characters would develop for each other. Save that until season two. You know, uh, just season one should just be the very basics. You know, when it comes to introducing the characters, introducing the the, the overall you know, main story plot, any kind of side plots that get twist and turned around the main plot, and then some kind of basic character development in that season. Even if it's just kind of setting up the conflicts that you can expect to see later on in future seasons. You know, Um, so I guess in a way that kind of does play into the whole love interest that was developing with those four characters, but I mean, the way they went about doing it was was pretty awkward, you know, it just, you could tell they were trying to figure out where they wanted that whole romantic direction to go, but they just really didn't, um, know what they wanted to do, and and that kind of, I don't think it detracted from the the series, but it kind of made you roll your eyes a little bit, like, oh really, come on, you know, um... So, I think that was kind of one of the, one of the cons regarding, uh, Fringe's season one is this kind of four-way, you know, romantic, uh, tension that was going on between the four, um, so, hopefully that changes in season two, obviously I do know what uh, season two brings and season three brings and part of season four, um, But for right now, you as a listener, if you haven't watched Fringe yet, then uh, I guess I'll kind of leave you on that uh, cliffhanger as to what happens in Season 2 regarding uh, Peter's true nature, also regarding Olivia's uh, um, little visit to the World Trade Center's buildings that should not exist, as well as the story plot behind the uh, ZFT cult, all these weird phenomenon and, and weird um technology developing that always seem to kind of come back to massive dynamics and to walter and to william bell as well as last but not least the weird romantic tension between four of the characters so oh uh, i guess that's it for tonight when it comes to uh, the synopsis uh, that's my take on fringe season one uh, stay tuned for uh, a synopsis on season two and season three and once i finish season four and five then those will come out as well so uh, this is jason thanking you for tuning into to the telling mind you have a good evening